We'll hear argument first today in case 06278, Morse v. Frederick. Mr. Starr. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, illegal drugs and the glorification of the drug culture are profoundly serious problems for our nation. Congress has so recognized, as has this Court, time and again. The magnitude of the problem is captured in the amicus brief. The Court has a number of amicus briefs before it. But the amicus brief of General McCaffrey, of Secretary Bennett, and a number of organizations, and particularly at pages 5 to 9 of that brief, the nature and scope of the problem are well Well, is this case limited uh, to uh, science about drugs? What, what is the rule that you want us to adopt for deciding this case? The rule of the Court that it, it articulated in Tinker. The rule of the Court, as articulated in Tinker, is that there is, in fact, a right to political speech subject to disruption requirements that the speech not be disrupted. Well, disruptive that was of what? Disruptive of the classroom order? There's no classroom here. Including but not limited to. This was a school-authorized event. This is education outside of the classroom. Uh, it was essentially a school assembly out of doors. It was essentially. Well, I, I can understand if they unfurled the banner in a classroom that it would be disruptive, but what did it disrupt in the sidewalk? The educational mission of the school. Which no, but I mean, that's at a level of generality that, that, that doesn't get us very far. I, I, I mean, what specifically did it disrupt? Did it disrupt the parade? Did it disrupt teaching? What was it? 5520, a school policy of the board that says emphatically that political speech is protected, embracing tinker. Then, then if that's the rule, the school can make any rule that it wants on, on any subject uh, restrictive of speech, and if anyone violates it, the, the result is, on your reasoning, it's disruptive under tinker. Not at all. Uh, I think this then, Court — missing the argument. The argument is that this Court in tinker articulated a rule that — allows the school board's considerable discretion both in identifying the educational mission and to prevent disruption of that mission. And this is disruptive of the mission. Well, suppose, you have a, suppose you have a mission to have a global school. Can they ban American flags on lapel pins? Absolutely not, because under Tinker, that is political expression. Let me be very specific. This case is ultimately about drugs and other illegal substances. So if the sign had been... Uh, Bong stinks for Jesus. That would be, and Morse had the same reaction that this was demeaning to the Olympics and it was unruly conduct, that there would be a protected right under Tinker because the message was not uh, promoting drugs. She stated in her answers to interrogatories that she may very well not have interfered with the banner had it, in fact, said legalized marijuana, under our theory, we think she could have interfered with that because it was disruptive to the event. It was disorderly to the event itself. But the what, what, what would be disorder? I don't understand this disorder. Uh, if, if somebody holds up a sign uh, and says, change the marijuana laws, why is it disruptive of anything uh, simply because the school, quite naturally, has said, we support the enforcement of the law, and the law right now um, does forbid the use of marijuana. Yeah, I, I, it's political speech, it seems to me. I don't see what it disrupts. And, unless disruption simply means any statement of disagreement with a position officially adopted by the school. Is, is, is that what you mean by disruption? No, Your Honor, first of all, this is, an, I think, an unusual characterization namely for this to be called political speech, we would it's, quarrel, it's calling, quarrel, I mean, in, We think in, it's a first — I'm sorry. A, 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 a call for a change in the law, I would have supposed, was political speech. That wasn't the interpretation. Your Honor, let's back up, if I may. Someone has to interpret the message, and the frontline message interpreter is the school official. The school official — Well, that may be, but that's not the hypo. Uh, the, 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 the hypothetical uh, is — what if there is a sign or a statement in the school uh, calling for a, a change in, in, you know, the, the prohibition against marijuana use? Uh, as, a, as a call for a change in the law, I would suppose it was political speech. But as I understood the argument you were making, it would still be regarded as an exception, as it were, to tinker because it was disruptive. 
And it was disruptive in the sense that it disagreed with official school policy, which was to enforce the law or support the law as it was. Is that your position on no, what disruption means under Tinker? But our th- the answer is no. Okay. Because what we're also urging the Court to consider is its gloss on Tinker in Frazier and also what this Court said in Kuhlmeyer. And in Frazier, the Court was very clear in the first three paragraphs in Part 3 of the opinion in talking about the habits and manners of civility and inculcating the values of citizenship. That, in fact, is what is happening here. There is an effort both to, cons- to prevent a message that is inconsistent with a fundamental message of the schools, which is the use of illegal drugs is simply verboten. And we believe that is permitted under, under Tinker. But so you want to get away from the hypothetical, then. I, I don't know why, why, you, uh, why you try to defend uh, a hypothetical uh, that involves uh, a banner that says amend the marijuana laws. That's not this case, as you see it, is it? Well, it's certainly not this case, but this, this I, banner but was, this is, was, was interpreted as meaning a smoke pot. No? It was interpreted as, yes, it was interpreted as an encouragement of the drug culture. And are, are you think, arguing that there should be a, a sui generis rule for speech that advocates illegal drug use or this broader argument that the school can suppress any speech that is inconsistent with its educational mission, as the school defined it. I apologize. The Court can certainly decide this on very narrow grounds, that there are certain substances, illegal drugs, we would include alcohol and tobacco, that's part of the school's policy, because those are illegal substances which are very injurious to health. And this Court has noted that in Vernonia and in Earls time and again. It is that these are very dangerous substances, and we have a clear policy sanctioned by Congress and, and also noted by courts across the country that illegal drugs are so dangerous that score, schools are entitled to have a message. But the, the, prob- the problem, uh, Mr. Starr, is that school boards these days take it upon themselves to broaden their mission well beyond education or protection from illegal substances. And several of the briefs have pointed out school boards have adopted policies taking on the whole range of political issues. Now, do they get to dictate the content of speech on all of those issues simply because they've adopted that as part of their educational mission? No, because that may very well be inconsistent with Tinker. Tinker articulates a baseline of political speech is, in fact, protected subject to I think think you're, you're right about that, and I guess my question goes to how broadly we should read Tinker. I mean, why is it that the classroom ought to be a forum for political debate simply because the students want to put that on their agenda. Presumably the teacher's agenda is a little bit different. It includes things like teaching Shakespeare or the Pythagorean theorem. And just because political speech is on a student's agenda, I'm not sure that uh, it makes sense to read Tinker so broadly as to include uh, protection of those, that speech. This Court has not read Tinker quite so broadly uh, in both Frazier and in Kilmeyer, And there are a couple of aspects of Tinker that I think are worthy of note. One, that there was no written policy there. So there was an issue of uh, standardless discretion being exercised. And also — Would it there- made, have made a difference in Tinker if the school had a policy — defend our troops in Vietnam, would that have brought this into the category that you are now carving out? You said that Tinker had no policy, but suppose the the school did have a policy. Patriotism, we support our troops, no bad speech about the war in Vietnam. Should Tinker come out the other way? No, it should not, uh, because there I think there are concerns with respect to what this Court has identified is trying to, even in the public school setting, quite apart from uh, the university setting, uh, to cast a pall of orthodoxy to prevent the discussion of ideas. What is happening here, of course, in this case, it can be decided very narrowly, that drugs, alcohol, and tobacco just have no place in the schools. And yeah, but, the, but the rule you proposed, I thought, in response to my question, is that the school has wide discretion to define its educational mission, and it can uh, restrict speech that's inconsistent with that mission. And, and that's what this court ex- and, and it seems to me that's much broader than Tinker. And well, you said, well, there's a, uh, an exception for political speech. Well, but then you're right with Justice Ginsburg's uh, hypothetical, I suppose, uh, that they have a particular view on a, on a political issue, no child left behind or 
or, or foreign intervention and so forth. Justice Kennedy, the words that you articulated are essentially quotes of Frazier and Kuhlmeier. So there's a broadening of the lens and a restoration, frankly, of greater school discretion in those two cases than one might see in Tinker. They, of course, drew, as you well know, from Justice Black's warning in dissent in Tinker that the federal courts, the federal judiciary, should not be extending itself unduly into the work of the school boards. Why do we have to get into the question of uh, what the school board's policy is and what things they can make its policy? Surely it can be the po- it, it must be the policy of any, any school uh, to discourage breaking of the law. I mean, suppose this, this banner had said, uh, kill somebody, and there was no explicit uh, uh, regulation of the school that said you should, not, you should not foster murder. Wouldn't that be suppressible? Of course. There does not of course the, it would. The answer, so, the, the answer is yes. There's why can't deep. we decide this case on that, on that narrow enough ground, that you, any school, whether it has expressed the policy or not, can suppress speech that advocates violation of the law? I think it can, but it raises some interesting potential hypothetical questions. What about listening to the voice of Martin Luther King, Jr., conscientious objection, and so forth? I don't think the Court needs to stray into those areas because here we have a written policy which does, in fact, respond to concerns about the exercise of standardless discretion. Does, do we have just clear up one thing to be 100 percent sure I understand your position? It does — the message is the critical part of this case. If it was a totally neutral message on a 15-foot sign, that would be okay. Uh, You're uh, not saying 15-foot signs are disruptive. Not inherently disruptive, and in fact, the answer is yes. We're not saying that. So we're focusing on the message, and that's the whole crux of the case. That's why this case is — Why is that? Because the message. Why? Why? I mean, suppose you go on a school trip, and the teacher says on the school trip, I don't want people unfurling 15-foot banners. I don't care what they're about. It may very well be — We're going to go visit the, the, the state capitol. Right. We're not marching down the street with 15-foot banners. I mean, does the First Amendment say the teacher can't say that? It does not, but the Juno School Board in 5520, Justice Breyer, allows, in fact, it has a tinker statement in the first paragraph of 5520, which is also, you will not be advocating drugs. And so there is essentially a culture of liberty. You just you said, so, but why, why could I not say that? I mean, I'm not going to do it necessarily, but why could I not say would it be wrong in an opinion to say a school board can, on a school trip, tell the students they can't unfurl 15-foot banners? Is that a correct statement of the law or not, in your opinion? In my opinion, it is a correct statement of the law, but in response to Justice Stevens' question, the message here is, in fact, critical because what we know about this case is that, and you're here, of course, to respond to this case, which has to do with a message that the message interpreter, Deborah Morse, who, by the way... It's also critical to your case that it was a school event. If this had been two blocks down the street, there would have been no objection. If Mr. Frederick had seen fit to go down Glacier Avenue to J&J's, a popular hangout, there would have been no uh, high school jurisdiction. There may have been elementary school jurisdiction. But, yet yeah, he could have gone, Justice Stevens, to the state capitol or anywhere along the 10th. Suppose it were Saturday instead of a weekday. I beg your pardon? Suppose it were Saturday, not a school day, and the school children were not required to show up at the uh, Olympic uh, event, but were encouraged to, and the same thing happened. Would it make a difference that it wasn't uh, in the course of a regular school day? No, I think it's still, under your hypothetical, would be school-sponsored, but there might be a, a more difficult showing of disruption or inconsistency with the educational mission. That is what this Court articulated in Frazier and again in Kuhlmeyer, that the school is, is able under our policies of federalism and values of federalism and democratic theory to fashion its educational mission subject to constitutional safeguards. And that mission of preventing the schools from being infected with pro-drug messages continues wherever their school jurisdiction. And that would include on a Saturday field trip or uh, other kind of activity. And I think that's Sorry, just you, you responded to Justice Breyer that you think the school could uh just prohibit the unfurling of 15-foot banners uh, on a trip? Could it prohibit the wearing of black armbands on a trip? 
I don't believe so. Not, if but not, that, what's the difference? Because of the potential for disruption, disorderliness, and the event and the judgment that is but, entrusted But don't we have to, to be more specific about the context in determining whether there's a disruption? If there's a school trip to an art museum, unfurling a 15-foot banner in front of the pictures uh, is clearly going to be disruptive of the object of the trip. Unfurling the banner in a classroom is going to be disruptive to the teaching of Shakespeare or whatever's supposed to be going on there. What we have here is the unfurling of a banner on a sidewalk in a crowd with kids throwing snowballs, uh, waiting for some, somebody to, to run by with a TV camera nearby. And there's a real question as to whether, it seems to me, as to, as to whether it, it is in a, a kind of practical real-world sense disruptive of anything. And if there is such a question, shouldn't the answer favor the right to, to, to make the speech as opposed to favor the, the right to suppress it? Your Honor, the answer is no. We do think that it, the test that this Court has articulated, which we embrace, looks not simply to, quote, disruption, but inconsistency with what this Court has called, this is this Court's language, the basic education All right. mission. Let, 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 me, let me follow, actually sure. ask you the same question on, on that, because in, in response to Justice Scalia's question, you, you said certainly the, the, the school has got to write uh, to, to have a policy that forbids violating the law and, and calling for violations of the law. Accepting that as a premise, don't we need, before the, the school may suppress the speech, don't we need at least a statement which is clearly inconsistent with that policy? And if that is so, is bong hits for Jesus inconsistent with it? It sounds like just a kid's provocative statement to me. Uh, Your Honor, with all due respect, the key is to allow the school official to interpret the message as long as that interpretation is reasonable. You might disagree with that. Justice Justice Brennan disagreed with whether Matt Frazier's speech was all that terrible. But he said, even though it wasn't all that terrible, I nonetheless defer to the interpretation of school officials. That's what our educational system is about. Those were the words and, and characterizing them as offensive. But here... One could look at these words and say it's just nonsense, or one could say it's like merzidotes. It isn't clear that this is smoke pot. Your Honor, uh, again, Deborah Morse, a conscientious principal, interpreted the message in light of the subculture of the school where drug use is a serious problem, and it was on-the-spot judgment. We believe that judgment was reasonable as opposed to a judgment reached in judicial chambers, but we note that that was also the judgment of the superintendent and district judge. Is that, a, is that a judgment clear enough as a matter of law, or is there a possible debate as to whether that's a reasonable interpretation of the message? Or it, let's assume it was an ambiguous message. Would we have to accept her interpretation on, on summary judgment? Yes, I believe you do. And, well, it, that's, of course, a question for the district judge. And here the judge analyzed the facts in terms of what the individual was trying to say and determined that that is a reasonable uh, interpretation, and that is all that is required under this Court's uh, law. I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time. If I may. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Needler. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The First Amendment does not require public school officials to stand aside and permit students who are entrusted to their supervision and care to promote or encourage the use of illegal drugs. As this Court observed in Earls, the nationwide drug, drug epidemic makes the war against drugs a pressing concern in every school. And is that the rationale on which you wish us to decide this case, nothing more broad? The, the Court need not decide anything more broadly than that. I mean what your recommendation is to what our rules should be in this case. Well, I, th I think this is a manifestation of the principle articulated in Earls and repeated in Hazelwood that a, a school does not have to tolerate a message that is inconsistent with its basic well, education that's a very, mission. And that's a very, a very disturbing argument, because schools can and they have defined their educational mission so broadly that they can suppress all sorts of political speech and speech expressing fundamental values of the students under the 
under the banner of, uh, of, of getting rid of speech that's inconsistent with their that, That's why I think there would, there would be — it would make a lot of sense for the Court to articulate a rule that had to do with uh, encouraging illegal conduct and particularly well, — Why con- go into this? I mean, that's what I actually seriously don't understand. Suppose the school has the following rule. By the way, on our field trips, you can carry around 15-foot banners. They can say anything. Except they can't talk about drugs and they can't talk about sex and they can't talk about, I don't know, or I'd say three things. Would that be constitutional? Well, I mean, I I think, I think a school could certainly prohibit the display of banners on a school trip or in a school assembly. Suppose that this particular person had whispered to his next door neighbor, Bong hits for Jesus. <laughs> you know, I suppose that's what it happened. And, and that, that may well be, that may well be different. And, and, and that's why no, I think it's different. That's what I, what a principal who has to act quickly sees across the street at a school meeting a big banner go up making a joke out of drug use. So the principal acts. Now, are we supposed to divide that into little bitsy parts? Uh, because as soon as we do, we're going to get a rather interesting, complicated, and very difficult set of constitutional rules. But you want us to do that? No, I, I, I do not. I think I, I think the point that you make that the the uh, principal sees the banner across the street and sees the word "bong hits," and and at the very moment when the Olympic torch is about to arrive, I think it was she made a, a quick judgment and an entirely reasonable one that the display of the slang words bong Well, then you're not like, arguing for the broad educational mis- mission, which is what you said at the first. Well, I, there are several gradations that the Court could take. Advocacy of illegal conduct generally, more specifically advocacy of illegal drugs, but I believe, and I think it's important to recognize that this Court's precedents recognize, uh, recognize several different justifications for restricting student speech. In Tinker itself, which dealt with political speech, the Court was careful to point out that even then, if the speech could be shown to present a threat of a material disruption to the classwork, and I think this would answer your question, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, if if the teacher wants to teach Shakespeare, the teacher doesn't have to turn over the class to political speech. But that's a viewpoint neutral regulation. This isn't the, the, the principal didn't say this was a viewpoint neutral regulation. No, she? no, and and and, um, and just to finish, in, in Tinker, even with a viewpoint um, uh, concern, the court said if you could show a material disruption, um, and and the court made that clear in Tinker by by its comparison to several lower court uh, decisions where wearing buttons had been prohibited because they'd caused disruption. And the third category in Tinker itself was where there would be an intrusion upon the rights of other students to be secure and be let alone. That's Tinker dealing with political speech. But in Fraser and Hazelwood, the Court identified additional categories of speech that could be governed by the school. And this is in footnote four of Hazelwood. The Court made clear that the, the ability to regulate those categories of speech goes beyond the question of whether there would be disruption or so, whether there would so be. So you think that the a, not a 15-foot banner but a very discreet button that says legalize marijuana, although it might be covered as not being disruptive under Tinker, it could be inconsistent with the school's mission and prohibited on that basis? Well, I think, I think if, the, if the button is legalize marijuana, uh, during a referendum in the state, then that, that might be the category of political speech that could, that could this, not be regulated. At this very rally, I mean, I thought your brief said that it's okay to work for change in exist, existing law, which such a sign would be, but it's not okay to violate the law. And no one was smoking pot in that crowd. No, but, but the — what was happening was a sign that was reasonably construed to encourage the use of, of illegal drugs. It's All right. Given the fact that this is a First Amendment case, aren't, is, isn't a court forced into the position, if it's going to be consistent with what else we've said, of uh, even at the, at the final appellate level, of giving pretty careful scrutiny to the statement itself in determining whether it may uh, be suppressed or punished? And if we do that, is it such a reasonable construction that this is uh, an, an, uh, an, an incitement to illegal drug use? I mean, it's a statement which makes, makes the drug law look a little ridiculous, I think. 
But I'm not sure that that is very distinguishable from a statement saying you ought to change the drug law. Well, I, I, I think in, the, in this Court's decisions dealing with public schools, this Court has, has uh, a consistent theme is to give deference to the judgments by the educators. Public schools — Do we have to give — let me ask you this, and maybe this is the, the — as far as we can go with it here. Is that the answer to the question here about what the statement means? Yes. In other words, if, if we give deference — your argument wins. But if we don't give deference, then does anybody really know what the statement means? I don't think the question is what uh, Mr. Frederick intended. The question is what a reasonable observer would think. And the words bong hits are slang that would be particularly um, uh, — have a particular uh, characteristic of getting across to other students, and they suggest a casual tolerance and encouragement. But what if the sign said bong hits should be legal? I, I think that would be a judgment call. I think the, ca- I think the casual would, would, use. Un, under your view, wouldn't the principal's judgment always prevail? Well, it has to be a reasonable judgment. And this, this is reflected in Fraser. Is that a question of fact or a question of law? Pardon me? Is it whether it's a reasonable judgment? I, I think ultimately it's a question of law, whether it's a reasonable judgment. This, 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 this parade had a theme to celebrate the Olympics. The, the high school kids are carrying the torch. The band is in it. Uh, suppose the, the banner said, uh, vote for, vote Republican, vote Democrat, and he wants to be on the TV with that. Could the, uh, principals make him take that sign down on the ground that it's inconsistent with the, with the whole theme of, 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 of the parade, something like, like our Hurley case? Yes, I, I, I mean, I, I think for this reason, this was essentially an outdoor assembly. Where the, where the students were assembled to watch a particular event, just as in an indoor assembly. Now, is that the, different? Is that different from the rationale you've put? Uh, yes. The, there, again, that's why I don't think there's any one single rule that governs all cases. This is this I think falls under the under the Fraser standard, where the where the court said that that uh, schools have a duty to inculcate manners of civility and uh, and and to um, prepare students for citizenship and not violating the law is an important part of that. And teachers act in, in loco parentis. They act as guardians, and they should be able to do, as this Court said in Earls, what a reasonable guardian would do. That would, that would mean don't allow people to encourage lawbreaking. But it wasn't, it wasn't like an assembly, was it? I mean, as I understand it, the children were released from school, but they were not required to attend this event. And they were not required to stand in front of the school uh, on the opposite side. They weren't, weren't uh, monitored by their teachers, so they, and they were non-students in the crowd. So it's not like a school assembly. The students present at the event, presence at the event was like an assembly. Students may go into an assembly hall and not have to sit with their class. They were released from class, but they were not released from school or school supervision. There were teachers around there, and the school could define what is the nature of our assembly at this public event. And just as in, a, in, in the auditorium, the, the a school could say there will be no political banners or, frankly, no banners about anything other than what the event is. Were, were they required to go to this event, or could they have skipped off and gone home without they, they were not allowed to go home. They were That's required. They were required. Um, they were required uh, to attend. They were required. And there, to, to and there, be there were. If the, if the classroom teacher uh, decided to let them go out there, but they were under school supervision at that time. Were they ever told uh, — what they were supposed to do in the sense, did the school ever say, we are letting you out on the street to celebrate the Olympics and to do only that? Uh, was, was, was there an object to this release from the school building that was ever conveyed? Yeah, uh, if I may, I don't think there's any question that he knew in advance that this was about the Olympics. That's why he made the sign. And, that, and they were released to go out and watch the torch uh, go by. He hasn't raised any question of notice or due process uh, yeah. concerns. Thank you, Mr. Needler. Thank you. Mr. Mertz. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This is a case about free speech. It is not a case about drugs. It's a case about money. Your client wants money from the principal personally for her actions in this case. He does have a damages claim against uh, the school district and the principal, but that is by no means his chief object here. The overwhelming object is to assert his free speech. Well, would you waive damages against this uh, principal who's devoted her life 
to the school and you're seeking damages for for this for this sophomoric uh, sign that was held up? We are certainly willing to negotiate a minimal settlement on damages. That is not the object here. But there's a broader issue of whether principals and teachers around the country have to fear that they're going to have to pay out of their personal pocket whenever they take actions pursuant to established board policies that they think are necessary to promote the school's educational mission. That is indeed a legitimate fear, Your Honor, and we believe the existing law takes care of it uh, by requiring before qualified immunity can be breached uh, that there be a, uh, a demonstration that under the existing law at the time available to her. Uh, and you think it was clearly established that she had to allow a student at a school-supervised function to hold a 15-foot banner saying, Bong hits for Jesus? I think it was clearly established at the time, Your Honor, that a principal could not engage in viewpoint censorship of a non-disruptive expression under both Ninth Circuit law and this Court's law. The case had its does, does, does that general statement that you just made apply to all circumstances in which a, a student-teacher relationship might, might be involved? For example, uh, in, in the course of teaching the class in Shakespeare, would your rule prevail? The rule on qualified immunity? Yeah. The, 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 the general rule which the teacher is supposed clearly to have known here. For example, um, in, in, the, in the Shakespeare class, kid doesn't, doesn't say anything. He doesn't yell or scream or, or, or even raise his hand. He just holds a little sign in the Shakespeare class uh, that says, Bong hits for Jesus. Uh, as I understood the general rule that you said the teacher was bound to know here, uh, the, the teacher, I suppose, would be required, or the school would be required to tolerate that sign in the Shakespeare class. Uh, is, is, is that correct? I believe the analysis would be the tinker analysis in terms of substantial disruption of the lesson. Well, would there be a substantial disruption? It would all depend on circumstances. My, my guess is that if it were simply passively holding The kids the look around and they say, oh, so-and-so's got his bong sign up again. Uh, and they, <laughs> you know, they, 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 then return to, they then return to Macbeth. Does the teacher have to, does the school have to tolerate that sign in the Shakespeare class? I believe that in circumstances where it is a substantial distraction can it just say no signs in, in when you're supposed to be learning? Your Honor, I think the answer is yes, if they had a content-neutral um, rule prohibiting signs in school. I believe that would be... Uh, Can't the school decide that it's part of its mission to try to prevent its students from engaging in drug use and so that it's going to have a viewpoint on drug use and that viewpoint is going to be that it's opposed to it? and so uh, that it takes a particular view with respect to signs that, in their view, seem to encourage drug use. Certainly it is within the school's mission to discourage drug use. Certainly it has many tools to allow it to give its own viewpoint. Certainly it can. Um, it does not need to provide a forum in the school itself for students with a contrary viewpoint. But when a student is basically on his own time, whether it's outside so your, school. So your position would be different if this were in the student gym and they were having a discussion. It was a program to discourage drug use, and he held up his sign. You would say it would be all right to take down the sign inside the school gym? No, I'm not so sure. It so it doesn't matter that this is outside. It, 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 matters on the content of the sign, not the location. Well, it, it, what matters is whether there is a substantial disruption of what the school is trying to achieve legitimately, whether it's a classroom lesson or a lesson on drug use. Well, but the school has, the, uh, the, the school has a program, an anti-drug program. Right. It shows movies. It brings in uh, policemen and social workers to preach against drug use. And you're saying that, never mind unfurling a banner, you're saying that it has to let students contradict this message it's trying to teach, to walk around, uh, you know, with a, with a button that says, smoke pot, it's fun. I believe, Your a, Honor. Does a school have to do that? I believe, Your Honor, that a non-disruptive pin badge, whatever you want to call it, 
would have to be tolerated. However, they would not have to tolerate a student who interrupts an anti-drug presentation. But the school, even though it is trying to teach one point of view, can allow students to come in and undermine that point of view, assuming that it's legitimate to teach that point of view. It can allow students to come in and undermine what it's trying to teach. And that is not disruption, in, in your view. I think they cannot prevent presentation of a contrary viewpoint as long as it is done in such a way that it doesn't interfere with the school's own presentation of its viewpoint. Can, can, it, can is, a, no. a, a student be a lot, uh, wear a button that says rape is fun? No, I don't think so. And Why? I think there is a distinction Why? there because when you're talking about hate speech, speech that actually advocates violence, then you're in another category of speech that there has been general recognition. Nonviolent crimes are okay. It's only violent crimes that you can't, uh, you, 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 you cannot promote. Well, right? Right? I think there is a... Extortion is profitable. Sorry. That's okay. Well... This is a very, very, with all respect, ridiculous line. I mean, I can understand you're saying you, you, you cannot promote things that are unlawful. But to say, oh, 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 it's only violent, where do you get that line from? Only violent, unlawful acts. No, I'm not saying only violent, unlawful acts. Uh, but this is a case where, if you look at it in the context of what was going on in the state at the time, where there was an active public debate on marijuana policy, on marijuana for medical use, on marijuana for personal use. <clears throat> it's a political, even assuming it's a political issue, the question is whether the school has to say our classrooms, our field trips, our sponsored and supervised activities are a forum for that debate. I believe it does not have to if being a forum would disrupt the school's own educational program. And no, but disruption you run- does not include undermining the message they want to send. It has to be some type of physical disruption. But undermining the message they want to send, they can't make the judgment that that's not allowed. Preventing a contrary viewpoint from being expressed. That we yeah, you rephrase it that way, but what actually happened is the principal looks across the street, mm-hmm. a 15-foot banner goes up at what's supposed to be a school event with everybody right together in a single place, and it says a joke. It makes a joke out of drug use. Mm-hmm. The principal thinks, of course, adolescents and post-adolescents sometimes like to test limits. And if the kids go around having 15-foot banners making a joke out of drug use, that really does make it a little tougher for me to convince the students at this school not to use drugs, and particularly putting up 15-foot banners. I don't know why everybody wants to get away from that, because I think you would have had a very different case if, in fact, it had been a whisper or if it had been a serious effort to uh, contest the drug laws. It wasn't either. It was a joke. It was a 15-foot banner. We have the message plus the means plus the school event. Now, what's your response? My response, Your Honor, is that first of all, a 14-foot banner. But that's, <laughs> that, that's an excellent response. I think. <laughs> yes. That was just the preliminary. Uh, in fact, what it was was a, a person displaying this banner in a quiet, passive manner that didn't interfere with anybody's observation. See that. The interference <laughs> consists of it's pretty hard to run a school where kids go around at public events publicly making a joke out of drugs. That's what his thought is. It was. Now, now I don't think he has able to read content discrimination, uh, viewpoint discrimination, time, place. He doesn't know the law principal. His job is to run the school. And so I, I guess what I'm worried about is uh, a rule that would, for, is on your side. A rule that takes your side will suddenly see people testing limits all over the place in the high schools. But a rule that's against your side may really limit people's rights on free speech. That's what I'm struggling with. I want some help there, and I'm worried about the principal. I believe the answer is that the Tinker case, as we understand it, struck a very wise compromise between allowing school officials to have complete discretion to suppress student speech um, in order to maintain what they conceive of as their individual mission and the student's right to speak in a non-disruptive manner. 
Uh, the Speaker, the Tinker case has stood the test of time for uh, 40, almost, almost 30 years. And although well, you can say that, but the subsequent cases seem to me to try to cut back on it. I mean, it's still the test of time in the sense that it hasn't been overruled. But uh, there have been some narrow exceptions to it in subsequent cases, of course, the Fraser and the the Kohlmeyer cases. But the the basic, the heart of it, the requirement that the school demonstrate that substantial disruption before it can engage in. Uh, in suppression. I think we're using disruption in two different senses here, and, and, and we should probably uh, separate the two. One sense is disrupting the class so that wh- whatever is being taught can't be taught. But you're also using it in the sense of undermining a general message that the school is trying to get across, obey the law, don't use drugs, whatever. Maybe we should have a different word. for The, the, the first is disruption. Disruption is a, is, a, is a funny word for the second. Let's, let's call it undermining instead. Uh, you, you, you think both of them, however, are bad, and, and both of them can be a basis for uh, suppressing the speech. Now, if I understand your, your question correctly, the second of them um, might better be called allowing competing viewpoints. So you think undermining is perfectly okay? you would never consider undermining to be disruption and therefore bad. I think undermining in the sense of preventing, impeding the school from delivering its own message. Oh, okay, but only that. Would be substantial. And you, 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 right after a class on drugs, he can be standing there in the hall and say, this class was ridiculous. Drugs are good for you. I use them all the time. I urge all of you. That's perfectly okay. That's not undermining. I believe that is the kind of... That's not disruption. We must tolerate, no matter how unwise. Couldn't a school school board have a a time, place, or manner regulation that says you're not going to use the halls to proselytize for your cause, whatever it may be? I believe that's correct. You could have reasonable rules of decorum for what goes on inside the school building. Right. And Does does the school have to be completely neutral in that respect? Does it have to punish the student who says, that was a good program, I'm not going to use drugs? And you shouldn't either, because he's taking a position on a public issue? I think a content neutral, contract neutrality is, is critical here. And if a school wants to allow anti-drug comments, messages, then it has an outside of the official forum. Where does that notion that our schools have to be content neutral? I thought we wanted our schools to teach something including something besides just basic elements, including the character formation and not to use drugs? They have to be neutral on whether you should use drugs or not? Content neutrality goes to what speech is suppressed or punished. As far as the school delivering its own message, there is no requirement of equal time or that it be neutral. It's got its own viewpoint in the case of drugs, a viewpoint that almost all of us agree with, and it should be able to espouse. But a school isn't an open forum. A school isn't there for everybody to teach the students whatever he wants. It's, it's, it's there for the, the teachers to instruct. And, and you're turning it into an open forum. If the school says, addresses one issue, everybody else has to be able to address that issue. I don't believe that's that, the case. That's not all, my, my vision of what a school is. In the classroom, delivering the prescribed messages in school assemblies where the school wishes to present a particular message, that's one case. However, in the lunchroom, outside in recess, across the street, that is a quintessentially open forum where it would not be proper, I think, to to tell students, you may not mention this subject, you may not Well, do you, do you concede that there was some right of school control for what was going on across the street? No, actually, our primary position on that is that uh, he was in a public place, at a public event, among public so people. So if, if, if kids were throwing bottles and injuring passersby, the principal had no right or duty to, to, to go over there and stop it? Oh, I think if, if they were engaging in active hooliganism, uh, well, because that's because but the school has a right of control. There is a distinction here. This young man had not been in school today, had not been on campus, had, was not in any class that was released. To I, I, why did he go where he went? Why, why did he choose that location to unfurl his manner? He explained because it was the only place where he actually knew the root of the, uh, the relay. Yeah, but, but, I mean, re- that's uh, rather fine. I, I, have, I guess there's no 
you accept this, which what the teacher said, the entire class went to view the relay. Individual students, this is at 9.30 in the morning. They are not given the option of remaining in class, nor were they released to do as they pleased. They were to watch the relay with the rest of the student body, either just in front of the school or just across the street. That's me, not them. And then return directly to their classrooms, which I guess the school did. So it sounds like you're going to one place, stand together, behave yourselves, watch the relay, and the teachers will be there and take you back to class. Now, is there something else in the record that suggests something different? There is a major dispute on that point, Your Honor. We presented several affidavits that showed individual teachers were oh, just tell me where to look. I'll, I'll uh, look at wh where are the conflicting affidavits. I'm just reading from the page 51 of the, of the uh, 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 joint appendix. I didn't know there was a dispute. Uh, it would be in on pages 32, 34, 36. Okay, I'll, I'll look at those. Uh, another mi somewhat minor those, point. Can I ask you another point pages. about the record? I, I'll read those. Okay. Can I, can I finish the description of what actually happened? Um, according to these students, for those who were released from class, there was no requirement for staying on campus, and many of them did not stay on campus. No requirement for No, they went across the street. As a group. Some of them did. Uh, was, was there, there was no requirement. They didn't have to go across the street or stay on campus. They could wander off distantly. They could, and many of them did. Okay. And there was no, no requirement that they stay together, no requirement that they do anything in particular. They I had to watch, not, not even watch the parade? No requirement that they watch the parade? They were released in order to watch the parade. That was the intent Obviously, for well, those the intent, it was the direction. But it was not only the intent, it was the direction. Actually, it was not. According to these student affidavits, they were simply released and said, you can go watch. Were, were there any fact-finding on that? You, you refer to affidavits. But uh, no, no. It was decided on cross motions for summary judgment in the district court, and uh, there were no findings, actually no factual findings at all, and certainly nothing on that particular part. Can I ask another record point, just to, so I know where to look? Uh, you've also asked for an, an injunction that would require expunging his five-day suspension from his record. Correct. Ten days. Well, ten or five, unclear. I notice the superintendent of schools on page 66A, when he's reviewing this, what he says is, Joseph contends that all his behavior is excusable because he was exercising his free speech right. Even if I were to concede his speech across from the high school is protected, which I do not. The rest of his behavior warranted the suspension, and then he says, and I'm cutting it from 10 days to five. So given that, if you win, suppose, suppose you were to win and, and, and it, that it is protected and so forth, then would you uh, concede or not concede the suspension, the five days, it's over, it still stands, I don't care about the expungement or not? The whether it remains on the record, any of it remains on this record, is obviously much, much more No, but I'm asking what you think away of from it. He's gone I'm putting you on the spot. I'm, in that case, I missed the point of your. What, I want to know what the what the superintendent said. As I read it, is he says, "Look, I don't care if this was protected or not. I'll give you that. It's protected. But the rest of his behavior, the way he treated the principal, what he did, the reluctance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that warrants the suspension too. And I'm cutting it from ten days to five. So it sounds to me as if I read it that the teacher is saying, even if you're right, he's still suspended for five days. That's what the superintendent says. Now, suppose you win your point that you're interested in winning, which you may not or you may. Are you still then going to pursue this case on the five days that that should be erased? If the only thing left were discipline because he was tardy that day, was uh, didn't divulge the names of the other people holding the banner, that sort of thing. No, it will. We, we couldn't. Care. I think it's a more. You couldn't. What? I didn't hear the last part of what you said. You just got to the point of, of answering the question. Yeah. What's the answer? <laughs> yes. Those things wouldn't matter anymore. So you would not pursue it. Correct. Okay. Can we get back? I'm sorry. Cool. I get back to what the, the case is about. You think the law was so clearly established when this happened that the principal, the instant that the banner was unfurled, snowballs are flying around, the torch is coming, should have said, 
Well, I remember under Tinker, I can only take the sign down if it's disruptive. But then under Frazier, I can do something if it interferes with the basic mission. And under Kuhlmeyer, I've got this other thing. So she should have known at that point that she could not take the banner down. And it was so clear that she should have to pay out of her own pocket because of it. Mr. Chief Justice, there are two different time points we have to talk about. There's the heat of the moment out there on the street, but then later, back in the office, when she actually decided to levy the punishment after she had talked to him, after she'd heard why he did it and why he didn't do it, after she'd had a chance to consult with the school district's counsel, at that point, in the calmness of her office, then she should indeed have known it. And she did testify uh, that uh, she had taken a master's degree course in school law in which she studied Kohlmeyer and Fraser and Tinker. Uh, so and so it should be perfectly clear to her exactly what she could right. and couldn't do. We have had a debate here for going on 50 minutes about what Tinker means, about the proper characterization of the, the behavior, the non-speech behavior, uh, the, the school's terms uh, in dealing with the kids that morning, the meaning of the, of the statement. We've been debating this in this courtroom for going on an hour. Uh, and it seems to me, however you come out, this reasonable debate, uh, should the teacher have, have known, even in the, in, the, in the calm, deliberative atmosphere of the school later, uh, what the correct answer is? We believe at the very least she should have known that one cannot uh, punish a non-disruptive holding of a sign because it said something you disagreed with. Of course, I disagree with the characterization non-disruptive. It was completely disruptive of the message of the theme that the school wanted to promote, completely disruptive of the reason for letting the students out to begin with completely disruptive of the school's image that they wanted to portray in sponsoring the Olympics. Well, they weren't sponsoring the Olympics. They weren't even sponsoring this event, actually. They simply let the students out to watch it. That was the some of the Some of the students were carrying the torch, and the band was playing in the parade. A few of the, stu- a few of the relay runners were from the school and had been allowed to skip school to do that, and the pep band played as it went by. I do not believe that made the torch relay a school event. The best that can be said for them is that they uh, let students watch it with the concurrence of individual teachers and that that attendance was a school-sanctioned attendance. Now, whether that allows them to then engage in this kind of punishment of speech by a student who was not even among those released, who was standing... Now, you said that in your your brief, and I couldn't understand that somehow you got mileage out of is being truant that morning, would the case have come out differently? Would you be making any different argument if he got to school on time and was released with the rest of them? Does the case turn on the fact that he was late to school that day? We believe it would be a closer question, but the fact that he was not there in school today and intentionally was not there today um, turns this into a pure free speech case where you have a citizen in a public place at a public event who was not not acting as a school child because he's playing hooky? Because he he was playing hooky, because he chose not to be there, because he was not. Even though the law required him to be there. That's right. Well, he wasn't playing hooky. He showed up late, that's all. Right? I mean, he, he actually came and joined his classmates. Well, at an event that he knew was an event that the school told the classes to go to. He joined. As far as I'm concerned, he just showed up late. He joined a public crowd on a private side, public sidewalk in front of private homes. The crowd happened to have some other students in that Where did he there. go immediately after? He went to the school building for the, whatever was the third period of the day. Yes, the principal instructed him to do so. so, so under your so. view, if the principal sees something wrong and the crowd across the street has to come home and say, now, how many here are truants and how many were here? And I can't discipline you because you're a truant. You can go ahead and throw the bottle. No, I, I don't think she needs to do that in the heat of the moment. But later on, once she's discovered the true facts, then at that point I think she, she loses a basis for punishing him as a student if he was not there as a student. Because you're both a truant and a disruptor, you get off. Had you been just a disruptor, tough luck. 
Well, it may well be that he could have been punished for being truant, but of course that's not why we're here. He was punished for displaying, for the content of the sign he was displaying in a public place as a private citizen. Uh, Who who were the people that uh, helped him hold up his flag? Were they not classmates of his? Most of them were classmates. At least one was not a student. Did did he not know that these classmates were there at a uh, public event that that, that was sponsored, not sponsored, but uh, to which the school had directed the students to go? I'm sure he did know. So that seems to me it's like joining a school a school trip at the zoo, you know, you you you, you don't make it to the uh, to the school, but you're, uh, you you drive there yourself and then join the classes as it's going through the zoo. It, it seems to me he's in school. A better analogy might be if he had gone on his own time to the to the zoo and was engaging in some expressive act, and there happened to be a school group there at the same time. Could the teacher with that group then have disciplined him for what he was doing? The point I was trying to make earlier, he came here because it was the school uh, event, the school-sponsored activity. He could have gone anywhere along the route. He knew that it was coming by the school. He knew that they were going to be, the students were going to be released to see it. He went to join up with the school, even if he were uh, truant that day. No, Your Honor, I believe that's incorrect. There's nothing in the record that even suggests that he went there in order to join up with schoolmates or in order to be near the school. He says, in fact, he intentionally tried to avoid the school because he thought that that way he could avoid the school jurisdiction for his... Do you, you think he could have been marked absent for the whole day because he didn't <laughs> intend to, uh, uh, to be part of the school group afterwards? I mean, suppose there's a suspension of so much for half a day truancy and so much more for a whole day's truancy. And he shows up and uh, he says, uh, oh, you can't, you, you, you have to hold me for a whole day's truancy because I didn't intend to be in school. I was in school, but I didn't intend to be there. You, well, I think uh, it will all depend on make whether he's sense he, to me. Does it depend on his intent, whether he intended not to be a truant that afternoon? I think that would depend on the fact of whether he was a truant that afternoon. He was either in school or he wasn't in school. In the in the morning, he wasn't in school. Yeah, in the, the afternoon, afternoon, either he was or he wasn't. And and the question is whether joining the school group, intentionally joining the school group, going there because the school group was there, whether that places him in school. Well, as a hypothetical, if he were intentionally joining a school group, I would have to say that puts him within whatever jurisdiction the school has. Well, why does it group. matter? That is, why, why doesn't it? You're suing the teacher or the principal, and, the, and why wouldn't the issue be what that principal really reasonably thought the situation was? I mean, if the principal reasonably thought he was part of the school group, if the principal reasonably thought this is a school outing, if the principal reasonably thought that uh, you, the students are staying together, uh, why wouldn't that just be the ground on which you'd take the, the case? We, we should take it that way. As, as far as reasonably think. qualified immunity, I think that's correct if she had a reasonable belief. But even on the merits? The on the merits, I don't think so, because if he was not, in fact, there as part of a school group, didn't Even if the, the principal couldn't tell him to take down the banner, even if she thought he was part of the school group reasonably, if I he really wasn't. I do not believe there's anything in the law that allows no. a principal to convert a pure free speech exercise into a school exercise. I thought you were, you were going to appeal to, to the calm of, of her office the next day. Yes. Yeah, I, I thought that was going to be your question. <laughs> well, I Whatever she thought is. at the time, she didn't think it later. May I ask you to clarify one thing? I initiated this line of question, as I said, I was surprised that your brief made such a big deal that he was late to school. You would still be making the argument about the free speech right if he had diligently showed up for his math class first period in the morning, gone out with the others, and had his banner to unfurl when the torch came by. That is correct. We have two independent bases for defending him here. One is the pure free speech in a public place argument. That's the one that hinges on the fact that he was not among the released students. The other argument, which we believe in equally, is that even if it were a on campus or on an extension of campus, like a field trip, 
then under Tinker, because it was not disruptive, they cannot punish it. I thank the Court. Thank you, Mr. Mertz. Uh, Mr. Starr, you have a minute remaining. For the reasons that have been discussed, under no circumstances should Deborah Morris, a conscientious principal, be subjected to the possibility of punitive damages or compensatory damages. A very brief factual point. In light of the richness of the discussion with respect to the facts, I would guide the Court to page 109 of the uh, Joint Appendix. This is Deborah Morse's interrogatory answer, and there she sets forth the facts, and that bleeds into the law. To promote drugs, and this is our fundamental suggestion and submission, to promote drugs is utterly inconsistent with the basic educational mission of the schools. And for this Court to suggest to the contrary would really be quite inconsistent with much of its uh, drug jurisprudence, Vernonia and Earls, the uh, opinion uh, of the Court in Earls 2002 is especially powerful with respect to the scourge of drugs and their dangers. More broadly, the Court does not need to go more broadly, but the Court has spoken more broadly with respect to the need to defer to school officials in identifying the educational mission, but we know that there are, in fact, constitutional limits. Those limits are captured in Tinker, a passive, pure political speech that reflects on the part of the school board a standardless discretionary effort to squelch any kind of controversial discussion. That casts a pall of orthodoxy over the classroom. We are light years away from that. I thank the Court. Thank you, Counsel. The case is submitted.